0: we are talking about the fear of global calamity, the fear of global calamity. And I'd like to read for us from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 4 to 14. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. And then you will be handed over to be persecuted, and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me." At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, and he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray. Father, as we think about your word this morning, and we look toward that day when Jesus Christ will return, we know that there will be many trials and hardships that will come. And yet in the midst of that, you have said to us, don't be afraid, don't be alarmed. These things are going to take place. Father, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to hear your words of comfort in the midst of our troubled times? and to live with confidence and hope. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is a dangerous endeavor. Every day, it seems, we hear stories in the news of things that are going on all over the world, and those stories kind of fall into a bunch of categories. You know, we hear stories that relate to lawlessness in our world. Crimes, murders, thefts assaults that take place every day. We hear stories of natural disasters, of hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and floods, regardless of where they are in the world, they come immediately to our attention. Environmental disasters and concerns about everything from oil spills and pollution, radiation leaks to global warming. We hear about diseases. Not just the concern for the ones that are more typical, like cancer and heart disease, but we hear from time to time these fears of a new epidemic, a new strain of flu that maybe we won't have a vaccine for, or drug-resistant bacteria. We hear the news of war and terrorism in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, Sudan and Yemen, We're concerned about the spread of nuclear weapons to nations that have not had them before or nations that are rather militant in their approach to things. And we have concerns about our economy, about unemployment, debt, jobs, and the U.S. rate of bankruptcy and foreclosures that are taking place. We're concerned about all of those things, and every day it seems like that's brought into our living room. And there are times when a number of events occur close together and people begin to wonder, is this it? Is this the end? You know, I mean, is this the time when our Lord's going to return? It sure seems like things are setting up that way and we wonder, God, what are you doing in our world? When I look back on my life, I think, you know, I was introduced to this fear of global calamity at a young age. I grew up in the northwestern corner of Minnesota about... 50 miles away from the Grand Forks Air Force Base. And I, like many of you, lived through that time in the 60s when we were concerned about the Cold War and the threat of a nuclear attack. And Grand Forks was one of the uh, centers of the Strategic Air Command in that defense system. There were missile silos being built all across North Dakota at that time, And I'm I'm thinking, you know, okay, our farm's about 50 miles from there. It's probably not close enough to be hit in the first attack, but we'll probably die a painful death from the radiation effects because we're close enough to be affected by it. Uh, In our school, we had nuclear disaster drills just like kids today do fire drills and lockdown drills. When I think back on that, and maybe you experienced that too, it seems kind of funny, But, you know, I remember being in grade school and our teacher saying, in the event of a nuclear attack, you're supposed to hide under your desk and cover your head, you know. And so we'd all hunker down as though that was going to do anything, but we were going to be prepared for it. And that's what life was like. Do you remember that? Some of you that went through those experiences? I can remember sitting with my parents in front of a black and white TV set watching the Cuban Missile Crisis unfold and seeing those photos of missiles that have been moved into Cuba, and seeing the United States and the Soviets really eye-to-eye, you know, wondering who's going to blink first, and wondering, is this it? Is this the time when a nuclear strike is going to be launched, and that's going to be it? Well, that crisis passed, but in 1963 came the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and then we had the Vietnam War and the protests on our college campuses, things like the Kent State shooting. We had racial riots in Los Angeles and Watts in New Jersey and Chicago, all across the country, the unrest that was going on. Uh, it was a sobering time, and people were wondering, is this it? Is this the time when our Lord's going to return? And then in 1967 came the Six-Day War, as it would later be called, when Syria and Jordan and Egypt joined together to attack Israel, wanting to really drive them into the sea. And miraculously, Israel survived and pushed them back, extended their borders in what would later again be called that Six-Day War. Hal Lindsey would write a book called Late Great Planet Earth, they got everybody thinking about it even more. Is this is this it? Is this the time when Christ is going to return? And my point in sharing that is that there have been many times in the history of our world where people have thought, looking at their circumstances, that this may be the last generation. That this is the time when Christ is going to return and establish his kingdom on earth. And I believe God intended it to be that way so that we as believers would always be watching and ready for His return. Because we don't know exactly when that might be. But God doesn't want us to live in fear and He doesn't want us to circle the wagons and kind of pull back from what He's called us to do. He wants us to continue with His mission until Christ returns. So how should we live in troubled times? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to look at this passage in Matthew 24 in which Jesus gives us four instructions about how we should live in troubled times. Number one, he tells us don't be deceived by false messiahs or false teachers. We see that in verses 4 and 5. He said, watch out that no one deceives you For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. And what a sad thing that is. Watch out, because there's going to be many people that are going to come through the centuries that follow, and they're going to claim to say, you know, I'm the Messiah, or I've got the answer, or follow me. You know, and they're going to deceive people. And we're going to see many people who will go after these false messiahs and false teachers. But you stand firm. You now I think back in just recent memory here of some of those false uh, leaders, false cult leaders that have come along. And remember Jim Jones led his followers to drink arsenic-laced Kool-Aid in Guyana, the Jim Jones massacre in which so many died. We had David Koresh down in Waco, Texas, the Branch Davidians and that cult that ended in that horrible blaze as the buildings were set on fire. We think of Sun Young Moon, who has millions of followers, literally. He's come out of Korea. He claims to be the Messiah. He claims that he is fulfilling what Jesus failed to do in his earthly mission, as though Jesus' ministry was somehow incomplete, and so he needed to accomplish these things. And there are millions who believe him and follow him. Or today, out of Puerto Rico, a man named Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda, who claims to be Jesus incarnate, claims His followers can do no wrong, you know, they can just follow Him and live as they please in terms of licentiousness or immorality or greed or all those things, but, you know, they're in because He's the Messiah and they just need to listen to Him. Jesus said it would be that way. It's always been that way in the history of the church and in our world. And perhaps the greater danger than just a few individuals like this is the danger of false teaching that undermines the authority of Scripture and the uniqueness of Jesus. They want to say, you know, basically all religions are the same. You don't need to believe this, what Jesus said here. You know, He's just one way to the Father. And they undermine the truth of the Gospel. How do we keep from being deceived? Well, we need to know the Scriptures well. And we need to test the spirits, the scripture says. Test the spirits. In 1 John 4, and John wrote this to the church as a warning. He said, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard, is coming, and even now is already in the world. What's interesting about that passage is here John's writing, 1st century, And what he is addressing was an early heresy in which there were some who were denying the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so John is saying, you know, if they don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they are not from God. What this early kind of Gnostic belief was, was that uh, they believed that Jesus was the human, Christ is this divine spirit, and that this divine spirit entered into Jesus at his baptism, and then left prior to his death on the cross. And because of their belief that matter is evil and the spirit is good, they wanted to separate those, and so they were saying that Christ was a divine spirit, but he was somehow secondary to these greater gods. And if you would listen to them, the Gnostics claimed to have a secret wisdom. Today there's kind of a revival of that as people want to look at the Gnostic Gospels and claim that they are truth, you know, and so they want to read the Gospel of Thomas or these other books that have been discovered, you know, and say that somehow this is authentic and the Gospels are not. John would say to us, don't believe him. It's the spirit of the Antichrist that's been in the world since the beginning of the church. And, you know, heresy can fall off on either side. There are those today who would deny the deity of Jesus, say that he's just a good man, a good moral teacher, but not God. And at that time, here you had things reversed. Some who were saying that Christ is divine, but Jesus Christ? There's not this union of God and man in Jesus. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus is unique. There is no one else like him. Son of God, Son of Man, our Savior and Lord. So when we think about people who come along claiming to have the truth as a new Messiah, false teacher, we need to look very closely. What do they say about the Scripture? Where is their authority? And what do they say about Jesus Christ? Test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. Secondly, Jesus says don't be alarmed by world events. Don't be alarmed by these things that you are hearing in our world. And we see that in verses 6 to 8. He told the disciples, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. You know, he's saying, you're going to hear about these things. They're going to be true. Uh, These events will characterize the age in which we live. There are always going to be struggles between nations and wars that will be fought. And in the history of our world, we have seen that continually. It is because of that, though, that there are times when believers look at and they wonder, okay, is this setting up? Is this... Increasing like birth pains where they get more severe, more intense as it goes along and comes closer to the time of giving birth. But it's why, when in the Middle Ages, in the 1400s, 1500s, when the Black Plague was wiping out one third to one half of the population of Europe and Asia, I mean, just astounding. Can you imagine that? You know, Cities and communities like our own, if a third to a half of the people died, and when you had uh, earthquakes and famines that were following that kind of devastation, when you had the Spanish Inquisition that was persecuting and torturing those who were believers, when you had the corruption of the Pope, the papacy, and... Uh, People like Martin Luther who were believing that the Pope was the Antichrist because of the greed and corruption and immorality that was going on there. We can understand how people thought that Christ may be coming soon. Maybe this is the time in which Jesus will return, and believers who were even praying for that. Will you come, Lord? Will you come and rescue your people? And Jesus is saying they are just the beginning of birth pains. But like birth pains, they will increase in severity and intensity as we move toward the time of the end. How do we live in the midst of that? Jesus says, Don't be alarmed. Trust me. Trust me. In the summer of 1939, Donald Gray Barnhouse was in Scotland, and he was preaching. Uh, at a series of lectures and meetings that were being held at that time. He had a week that was coming up at the end of August in that summer that was going to be free, and he was really hoping to bring his family to Europe for a vacation. But he was warned against going. Uh, He had to be back in Belfast, Ireland at the end of that week to preach at a church there. And they warned him at that time because of the building tension in Europe, Hitler advancing on other countries, that war was imminent. You might make it in, but you may not make it out. And Barnhouse chose to go. He flew into Paris, and when he landed, the airport was full of soldiers. France was mobilizing for war. What he found out when he arrived was that indeed it was actually true. All planes had been grounded going out. And he wasn't going to be able to get out. The only way to return now would be to take the train to the coast and go by boat across the English Channel. And so that's what he began to do, make his way back. At every stop where the train stopped along the way, he saw these tearful goodbyes of family and soldiers, young men going off to war. It was heart-wrenching. He made it to the coast. He got on board a boat. He was able to cross the channel back at that time to England and then was making his way up to return to Belfast. And all along the way he's hearing this news, rumors of war and war. Hitler had invaded dancing and the British parliament had said that unless he withdrew they would be declaring war. And indeed that's what they did. By the time he got to Belfast, it was Sunday morning about 3 a.m. And he was to speak at an 11 a.m. service that Sunday morning. One of the men who dropped him off that night said that he would be back at 10.30 and he said, I hope you will have a good sermon tomorrow for it may be the last that some of those men will ever hear. What would you say at a service like that? What word would you give to those men who were going off to war and to their families knowing that many of them will never return? Well, the text that he chose that day was this text, Matthew 24, 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. See to it that you are not alarmed. And he went through the things that he had seen on his way back to Belfast. He talked about these families and the anguish that they were experiencing. And yet Jesus says, See to it that you are not alarmed. Millions will die. See to it that you are not alarmed. Families torn apart and grieving. See to it that you are not alarmed. And the tension in that service built until finally he said, How can Jesus Christ say such a thing? I mean, either these are the words of a madman, or they are the words of God. And Jesus Christ is Lord, and His Word is true. And what He is trying to tell us is that in this life we will experience wars, We will experience suffering. We will experience disasters and trials and all of those horrible experiences that can be part of this life. But in the midst of it, Jesus Christ is Lord. And for the believer who has placed his faith in Him, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from His love. And He is there with us. This is our God. And this is the word of our God. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Wars have come. They will come again. People will suffer. Men will die. But instead of dismay, we are to serve Jesus faithfully, even in the midst of the bad things, until he comes again. Thirdly, he tells us, don't lose faith. And we say that in verses 9 to 12. Jesus warned the disciples that persecution would come and there would be many who would fall away from the faith. And again, we have seen that happen in the history of the church. In those first three centuries of the early church, there were ten waves of persecution that historians have talked about. Waves of persecution that continued under different Roman emperors until the time of Constantine when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And in those waves of persecution, many, many believers lost their lives. And yet that same persecution continues today. And you have heard me say, I mean, the voice of the martyrs has said that more Christians were killed for their faith in the last century than in the previous centuries combined. The global evangelization movement reports that an average of 165,000 martyrs die every year. I mean, that's that's staggering. I, I just recently heard the number of American troops that have been killed in Afghanistan and Iraq since 9-11 is uh, over 6,000, about 64, 6,500, something like that, people that have been killed in these wars. And we grieve over that. I mean, and that, that makes the news. And when we have someone we know who has died, like when Nick Sbihar was killed in action, and we honored him with a service in our community and remembered his family. I mean, I mean, that's important and that's significant. But in that same time, 1.65 million believers have been killed. And where do we hear about that? I mean, who's saying on the news that this has got to stop? I mean, that's, that's staggering. God sees. God knows those who are dying for their faith every day in places like the Sudan and in Indonesia and in China and parts of Africa, all across our world. Believers who are suffering and dying. Jesus said lawlessness, lawlessness, persecution will increase. And it will be so until he returns. We are not currently being persecuted for our faith in America, but we do see things changing in terms of attitudes toward the church and toward what God's Word in particular has to say. And we see behaviors and immorality increasing, and there may come a day in our country where to preach God's word will not only be offensive but will be considered a crime by some to say what the Bible says and will we stand firm Jesus calls us to stand firm in our faith and to pray for those who are suffering today in Hebrews thirteen three, the scripture says that we are to remember those in prison as if we were their fellow prisoners And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So we pray for the persecuted church. And we remember those believers. And we pray for a change in our world. And finally, Jesus calls us to continue the mission that He has given to us. To continue the mission. Verses 13 and 14. He said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So he's saying, you're going to see these things going on in our world. You're going to see unrest. You're going to see wars. You're going to see persecution. There's going to be suffering, but I want you to stay the course. I want you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I want you to preach this message of salvation and hope that is found in Christ alone to those who have never heard it before. Because that day's coming when Christ is going to return. And there will no longer be an opportunity to hear that message. So work while it is still day. And carry forth the gospel. Doesn't that sound like a message that you would hear uh, when men are going to war? I mean, doesn't that sound like a message like, "Men, we're going into battle, and uh, here's the way it's going to be. This is our mission. We are to bring the gospel to those who have never heard it before. It's not going to be easy. There will be new languages to learn. There will be new people groups to reach. You will be leaving behind your family and friends and some of you will never see them again. Some of you will go out carrying out this mission and you will be killed for what you believe. That's the reality of the gospel. And we hear those stories. I have for many years followed the story of the Jesus film teams that have gone out and the marvelous things that God has done through them, but I also hear the stories of where these teams that have taken the film Jesus to remote areas have been poisoned, have been attacked, have been beaten, and have been killed for bringing the gospel to those who have not heard it before. But Jesus is saying this gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. It will happen. It will be done. And nothing can stand against it. You know, I love the motto of the U.S. Coast Guard because I think it's very applicable to us as Christians. The official model that they have is always prepared. That's a good way to live. We are to live always prepared, always ready, watching for the return of our Lord. The unofficial model of the U.S. Coast Guard is this. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. You know, they understand their mission is to save lives. It's to rescue people. That's our mission too. And we pray and I pray that God will raise up individuals from our church, that He will call into full-time ministry, who will go as missionaries, who will reach unreached people groups, who will translate the Scriptures into languages that have never had the Scriptures before. I pray that God will do that in our church and that He might use some of you that are here today in that. And we join together in prayer and giving and supporting those whom God has called out from our church already and those that we support as missionaries. Because this gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And again Jesus said... I am with you always to the very end of the age. We do not go alone. He is with us always. So how do we live in troubled times? Well, we are to stay true to our calling and follow Jesus. Stand firm even if persecution were to come. Stand firm when there are trials and uncertainties in our life live as a child of the king so that our faith our strength our stability which comes from God might be a witness to the world that Jesus does make a difference he gives a peace that the world cannot know a peace that passes all understanding and then as an application for us today I want to encourage you if you are not in the habit of doing so regularly to pray for those who have gone out from our church or the missionaries we support or others you know who serve on the front lines in other countries in particular but also those who serve here as well and remember them I mean we have missionaries involved in evangelism in church planting Bible translation a literature distribution pastoral training uh, they are doing a variety of good things in their ministry but they need your prayers They need encouragement. They need people who will connect with them and feel like they are a part of a team. They are going through difficult times right now. And they need you. And I encourage you, if you've never done it before, you know in the hallway to the left here as you leave, we have our missions bulletin board that has pictures and a description of the ministry of the different people that we support. And if you've not done that before, just... Go down the hallway and stand there and read some of those stories that are there and then pray for those individuals. Make it a regular thing that you would do. Maybe in your ABFs, you know, you have paired up with certain missionaries and you want to write to them. Maybe this year you want to do something for Christmas to remember them. Maybe it's a special gift or an offering you will take for them that could be a support or encouragement. Would you do that? Would you do that? And then would you pray for each of us that we would stand firm and be bold in our witness for Christ. Whether you're a student, whether it's at your place of work or in your own family with friends and relatives who do not know Christ and you want to share the gospel with them, pray. Be growing in your own faith. Live out the gospel so that others can see Christ in you and stand firm until He returns. Let's pray. Father, these words are indeed challenging to us. And in particular, when we think of the lives of our brothers and sisters who are in places where they are suffering, where they are jailed or beaten, or where they have been even, Lord, put to death for their faith in you. Father, would you grant them courage and strength today? Would you use their lives to bring others into a relationship with your son? Would you change the hearts of governments to give more freedom for the gospel in those nations that are closed? And Lord, in our church, would you continue to use us to be part of what you're doing in our world, both by raising up people who will go to the mission field, through our prayers, through our financial support and our giving. Help us to realize that we are at war that these things are significant, what's happening in our world, and that we can be a part of this great advance of your kingdom until that day when you return. Lord, use us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.